Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, tech. Uh, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to this week's episode. On this week's episode of the podcast, we talk about the upcoming Nothing Phone 2A, their new, hopefully budget-oriented phone. We're talking about Microsoft and Xbox news, and we're talking about new iPad Air and iPad Pro leaks. All right, uh, so our first topic of the podcast is a brand new phone from Nothing, which, I don't know, caught me a little bit off guard. I was kind of surprised to hear that they would be making uh, a new phone, considering the Nothing Phone 2 is not that old. Uh, But yes, they're actually coming out with a new version of the Nothing Phone 2 called the Nothing Phone 2A. Also interesting because that's copying uh, some of the naming scheme from the uh, Pixel line. Uh, usually the A in the Pixel line indicated a more budget phone. At the time of the announcement, we didn't really know if this was going to be a budget phone, but uh, Nothing did release a video on their YouTube channel kind of reiterating the fact that, hey, we're going to be making this new phone, and yes, we're actually going to be targeting maybe a little bit more of a budget uh, customer with this phone. Uh, They actually mentioned that they heard a lot of people talk about how they really liked the Nothing Phone 1 and the Nothing Phone 2, especially the Nothing Phone 2, because there was a price increase between those two versions. But uh, a lot of people said, hey, we like the phone. We like your design ideas. We like the aesthetics of the Nothing Phone 2. But we don't really need the, you know, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. I believe that chip was, was launching. one. I think it was the 8 Gen 2, actually. Uh, we don't need the best chip. We don't need the fastest screen with a high refresh rate or, you know, 2K or 4K, or whatever resolution. Don't need the best cameras. We actually just want this aesthetic in a phone that's a little bit more affordable, kind of like what the original Nothing Phone 1 was. Um, so Carl Pay in that video did say, hey, so we're going to be making a Nothing Phone 2A. Uh, and there's this phone isn't fully announced yet. It is coming soon. I imagine we're going to see more at M- Mobile World Congress in the next coming days. We're recording this on February 23rd. I believe MWC starts on February 26th. So coming very soon. But uh, some of the details did get announced early. For example, it is going to be launching with a MediaTek chip uh, instead of a Snapdragon chip from Qualcomm. Uh, This is going to be a 5G uh, capable chip. It's the Dimensity 7200 Pro. Uh, It's also going to come with up to 12 gigabytes of RAM. I don't know if there's going to be multiple SKUs, but they are talking about uh, 12 gigabytes of RAM with the ability to use your storage Um, with the RAM as well, but nothing else has really, uh, come out about this. There are some leaks on the potential design, uh, which look kind of interesting. I don't know if this is the official design, but there, if you, you know, search out there, you might see some, it kind of reminds me a little bit of a, uh, Huawei or, uh, Xiaomi or even, um, a OnePlus phone where, the back of the phone is, is transparent in a similar aesthetic to the original Nothing Phone 2, but the cameras are in the center of that, and there's a circular kind of cutout around those cameras with three glyphs around that circular cutout. So very similar to how maybe some of those circular cutouts in the uh, OnePlus or Xiaomi phones used to be, uh, but that's actually underneath the back glass, so in that transparent part. 
Uh, and it is an interesting design. I definitely don't think if this is the official design, it looks as good as the Nothing Phone 2, or especially not the Nothing Phone 1. But I definitely think it could be really interesting, especially if it comes in at a good price. But uh, how about you? Have you seen much of the Nothing Phone 2A? Uh, were you surprised to hear at all that there might be a, a cheaper version of the Nothing Phone 2? Um, and do you? there's also the added things that this probably won't come to the North American market. Uh, if that's true, does that make you a little bit sad considering we could definitely use some more budget phones in North America? Um, I heard a little bit about it and I guess I could say I was, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised too when I heard about it at first, but it's, it's not like uh it's not a complete shocker, right? Budget phones do well. And especially when we talk about, you know, as you mentioned, outside of the North American market, budget phones do well. So I'm not surprised that they're releasing a budget phone. But it is interesting, like you said, they're copying Google, you know, or they're copying the Pixel line with their A series. They could have come up with something else, but like I, I, yeah, I don't know, like even like an Alpha series or whatever you wanted to call it, they could have called it something else. But it's funny that they kind of recognize that, hey, people know what an A series is, so we're just going to call this the 2A. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the camera cutout, right? When I saw it, I was thinking, this kind of reminds me of a Pixel phone too. Mm. Obviously, it's not to the same extent as the camera bar all the way across the back, but it's in the same position that Google has their cameras on the back of the phone, right in the middle. So let's say if you were to, and once again, these are renders. These aren't official images. These aren't official, you know, designs from nothing. This is in the nothing community website. So, you know, maybe some fan-made images of some leaks that we might be out there or some other info that might be out there. So this could be completely wrong. They could have the cameras on the bottom of the phone diagonally mm -hmm. for all we know. Probably wouldn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But let's say that these renders are true. They're copying the design of the Pixel lineup also with these, right? So, okay, copying the name from Google, copying the camera layout from Google. It makes sense, like you said, to have a less powerful chip because, I mean, at the end of the day, who really needs that much power in the chip, yeah. in their chip, right? Like people aren't doing anything that intensive with their phones. A lot of the power and the benchmarks that we see from chips now, it's like, it's really just to have bragging rights. Mm -hmm. And phones are so much more powerful than we need them to be. So if you can save money, on a budget-friendly phone by making it less expensive, then yeah, why not do that? Then you can hit a different market. You mentioned the MediaTek chip, and they kind of like have a whole teaser video about you know oh, how they're going to be using this MediaTek chip and how good it's going to be. But it's like it's a budget chip. Like you don't need to <laughs> do all this this hype for a budget chip. Yeah, and also twelve gigabytes of RAM seems like a bit much for a budget phone. I agree. If the whole idea is that like we're making a less powerful chip because you don't need all that power and we're going to make it less expensive, then why throw in the 12 gigabytes of RAM? But I'm, maybe cost-wise, if you have a less powerful processor and more RAM, then it equates to the same performance as you know a higher power chip. Maybe they've done their tests and 12 gigabytes doesn't cost that much more, but it gives you better performance, I guess, hopefully. But... um. 
I am. It would be nice if this came to North America, because yes, there definitely need to be more budget options. And I think, as you mentioned, people like what nothing has done in terms of the phone designs, in terms of the UI designs, and all of that sort of you know the the operating system. They like that stuff. So. I think if you gave North Americans another opportunity to experience that and you didn't have to pay for the full price of the phone two of the nothing phone two, I think people would appreciate that. But I mean, we'll see when it officially gets announced. I think nothing has an event on March 5th. So I think that's when the official reveal will happen. Right. Cause mm -hmm. they've said they're coming out with this phone they've said the chip is coming out i'm sure maybe like within the week they're gonna talk about oh you know these are the cameras this is the camera sensor that we're using because carl pay just like when he was at oneplus they do a lot of like leaking and teasing before the actual event yeah so you get a lot of the specs of the phone before the actual launch event so i wouldn't be surprised if you see something about the screen they're gonna use or we see something about the cameras they're going to use some more information before March 5th is probably going to leak. But yeah, I mean, the main thing is going to be how much is this going to cost, right? It's going to be similar in price to uh, an A series pixel phone to an FE phone from Samsung, you know, like your new, your new entry into the phone space still, and like a new entry into the budget phone space. So, are you going to be competitive price-wise also? Hopefully. Yeah, I, I think the rumors are, are indicating potentially around a 400 euro price. Like we both mentioned, it, it's probably not coming to the North American market. So there probably won't be much uh, North American pricing. But the 400 euro price, it's less than $450 US. So around $430 US. I wouldn't be surprised if it probably starts at 399 similar to what the original nothing phone one uh was aiming for uh so th this could be interesting it could just be trying to pick up where the nothing phone one left off but i also think you know the one downside of potentially this chip is that this is probably what makes it not possible in the north american market like i mentioned this chip does have 5g radios but i imagine that's probably where they're cutting the cost um, for the most part, is on the uh, l the number of bands that are supported by the the integrated five G radio chip, or you know all the the radios, three G, four G, five G. I imagine that you know cutting the bands that are probably more common in North American markets uh, is where they're they're saving. That's kind of what they did with the Nothing Phone One as well. Uh, now that being said, the phone would probably still work in North America. But they probably don't want to sell it if it's going to not support all the bands so that, you know, you go to some place where, you know, a regular iPhone would have full coverage and all of a sudden you don't have a signal, which I imagine would be pretty rare. But that's just probably something they're going to uh, want to avoid. And in terms of the chip, I also agree with you. Like, I personally use a phone that has a Snapdragon 695, which is a very, very budget chip. But day to day, and this might be different for you because you're coming from a flagship, a more flagship device. But day to day, I personally never notice um, slow issues. Like I, like obviously, my phone isn't the fastest thing in the world, and you know you do notice that from time to time. But it's never to the point where I'm like, I can't deal with this phone. 
Um, it's, it's never to that point. And I'm curious, you've gone from a nothing, uh, sorry, uh, a Pixel A series phone to a flagship kind of iPhone. Did you notice a huge difference? And do you think it would be hard to go back to performance of an A series? Or if it's something like a nothing phone where the design kind of takes focus, does that kind of, is that more interesting to you? Or do you still want the flagship specs going forward? I would still want the flagship specs moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with the iPhone that I use now, like I've had it for, I guess this is the second year I've had it now. And I've noticed it slow down with things. Mm. And whether that's the actual phone slowing down, which I'm sure it is because my battery, you know, battery health is, I think, at like 85% now. So probably should replace the battery. So whether it's the battery slowing down performance or whether it's apps keep on getting optimized for the newest chips, so now they're running slow. There are some apps that I notice, and it's not even all the apps. It's like specific apps that I notice where it's I tap something and it takes like an extra second to process. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to scroll and it takes like an extra second for the app to realize that I'm trying to scroll. And like I said, it's not every app. It's specific apps. So maybe even those apps, if I had a newer phone with a newer chip, maybe they would still act the same way. But there are some things that I noticed performance-wise already. So I don't think I could go to a to a more budget chip. I think that's one thing like... You know, you said flagship. I have the 13, so it's it's not a ProMotion display. True. It's not 120 hertz, right? So I would much rather have a better chip than a like a, a better screen. Like I don't need 120 hertz. I don't need a 144 hertz screen, which some Android phones have, right? With like a 366 hertz touch sampling rate. I don't need that. Yeah. I just need a 60 hertz screen. Give me a fast chip. So when I you know, when I'm doing things on apps, there's no lag that way and I'm fine. I think I think that's a good point because you mentioned something about how they were talking about the specs of this chip. And it seems like they are trying to play up that this will be, even though it's not a Snapdragon chip, it will be more of a flagship performer than maybe we might think. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out uh, along with the the nothing style design. Maybe it does convince uh, a few people, even if it is a little bit more expensive than, let's say, the OnePlus, you know, budget phones. If it performs better, uh, closer to a flagship device and has that that nice nothing design, it might make a lot of people move from, you know, some of those other budget phones that don't do that. Okay, so our second topic of the podcast is some updated news on Microsoft's Xbox plans. Uh, So earlier this month, there was a lot of rumors going around that Xbox was going to start releasing some of their first party games on other consoles. Uh, There was rumors around Sea of Thieves and Hi-Fi Rush coming to other consoles. And, you know, even some rumors that maybe even one of their biggest flagship games from Bethesda, Starfield, or their upcoming games from Bethesda uh, in Indiana Jones might also be coming to other consoles. Because of all these rumors, Microsoft decided to have a podcast talking about a lot of their plans. Um, It was a very uninformative podcast, in my opinion. But essentially what they said in the podcast is that they reiterated, you know, Xbox is going to be the only place that you can get Game Pass. And it's going to be the place where they're going to release their flagship games. But there's going to be some games that they feel reach their potential 
on Xbox that are going to start releasing on other platforms. That was a bit of a nothing statement considering that I feel like any game that releases on Xbox could reach their potential and then be able to move to another console. So that comment didn't really make much sense. But also the fact that they mentioned that Game Pass will always be on Xbox also doesn't make much sense because Game Pass is available on anything. You could use it in a browser. You can use it on a Samsung TV. You can use it on a, a Steam Deck, which I have done in the past in terms of uh, cloud play. Uh, so, you know, the the whole kind of thing wasn't very, the podcast wasn't very informative, but we did get some more news. So this past week, there was a Nintendo Direct that focused on third-party partners and we did get to see that the four games that will be coming to other consoles, including the PS4, PS5, and Switch, uh, are going to be Grounded, Pentiment, Hi-Fi Rush, and Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is going to be coming to the PS5. Grounded will be coming to the PS4 and PS5. If anyone doesn't know, Grounded is actually a really cool kind of game where it's like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids survival game where you're in the backyard and you're trying to get you know, back to your normal size and stuff like that. It's really cool. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush will be coming to the PS5 uh, as well. And Pentiment, which will be coming to the Switch along with Grounded and the PS4 and PS5. So these are four, you know, older Xbox games. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush is actually pretty new. It came out last year with the surprise drop. Really cool game. But this is definitely a change in strategy from Xbox in terms of bringing more of their games to other consoles. We're probably going to see this continue. Obviously, they own Activision now, so there's going to be a lot of Activision games that are going to launch cross-platform. They've already promised to bring Call of Duty back to Nintendo consoles, which it hasn't been since the Wii U, so a very long time. Um, but yeah, this does kind of... This kind of created a little bit of a, a concern that Xbox could be leaving the console space, but they did announce that they are going to be releasing a next-gen console. So I think everything is kind of up in the air now uh, of like what the future of Xbox is going to be. Are we going to see more games on the Xbox console? Uh, but I think what the real concerning thing is, is that one, it seems like uh, the PlayStation 5 is still outselling Xbox consoles two to one, which is similar to what happened in the last generation. Um, and also it sounds like uh, Xbox Game Pass subscriber numbers are actually decreasing and not increasing. So this could be a sign that Xbox is kind of reaching the limits of their audience and having to go in other places uh, and could potentially lead to, you know, Xbox becoming a third party uh, publisher uh, maybe in the next five years or so. But I'm curious, how do you feel about this kind of news? That Xbox is starting to release some of these games on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5 and Switch, uh, but also you know, them saying that, hey, no, we're going to continue with the Xbox consoles and the Xbox Game Pass, yet their consoles aren't really selling to the level of PlayStation 5, and Game Pass isn't doing as good as maybe they expected. I feel like when the series, you know, Series X and S first came out, this is what you'd mentioned, right? You'd talked about Game Pass, and you said that, like, one day Game Pass could come to other consoles. I didn't think it was going to happen. But especially now that, you know, as I said, they're not bringing Game Pass to other consoles yet. They said it's not going to happen. The fact that they're opening the door with these four games, it, like they're going to eventually. 
right? They're saying that these are a test, and if these do well, then they're they're gonna look at bringing other games to the Nintendo Switch and the PlayStation consoles. This is gonna go well. I don't see why this wouldn't go well for them, and I definitely definitely see them bringing more games to the Switch and the PlayStation, especially as you mentioned. If the PlayStation is selling at a rate of two to one, if you're just tripling the amount of consoles that you can sell games to, why would you not do that as a company, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you think of, okay, they have Activision, Blizzard, they have all of these game developer arms. And as a developer, right, you want to get your game in, as, in front of as many people as possible. If you could easily triple that, why would you not do that? If you're the one who owns these companies, right? Not to mention how many Switches. I don't even want to know what the rate of Switches to Xbox Series consoles is out there. I feel like it'd be like almost like five or six to one, right? I was surprised, though. I'll admit, I was surprised. Just because of, for the longest time, you know, console exclusives have been console exclusives. And it was, you know, it was unheard of when games became multi-platform. Right, even when you think of like what I think Tekken and Soul Calibur back in the day used to only be on one console. Even like Street Fighter, yeah. right? It was only on PlayStation. Then eventually it came to Xbox, and then eventually it's like you could play like all these different fighting games. Now like racing, like it took a while for games to branch out beyond their just their one console. That's because the developers probably realized that hey, if we only sell to PlayStation, if we only sell to Xbox. As a company who's focused on making as much money as we can and getting our game in front of as much people as we can, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot for no reason. I think at some point, Activision, Blizzard, Microsoft Studios, they're going to realize that it doesn't make any sense, especially when you don't have the dominant console. Yeah. At least for PlayStation consoles and the studios that PlayStation owns and works with, you can say, okay, well, we are on the dominant console. And yes, we could make more money if we were able to sell the Xboxes also, but there aren't that many Xboxes out there compared to how many PlayStations there are. So it makes more sense to stick with PlayStation. And I definitely don't see PlayStation doing the same with their successful console, their successful games, right? I don't see any of the Spider-Man games ever coming to Xbox Especially not to Nintendo Switch or <laughs> Switch 2 or whatever they end up coming with because, like, the Nintendo consoles aren't powerful enough for that. And if PlayStation is already already has a 2-to-1 lead on Xbox, why would Sony Entertainment want to give Xbox one of their best series, right? Not even best games. Like, if you look at the original Spider-Man and then Miles Morales and Spider-Man 2 and, like... It's a very successful series, so why would you want to give that away? But yeah, I definitely see more games coming to the Switch and to PlayStation. And I see at some point, like you mentioned, what was it, two years ago? I, or two, three years ago? 2021, right? Yeah. And I see Game Pass coming out on PlayStation at some point. And I think when we originally were talking about Game Pass 2, the thing that kind of... I got hung up on was how good of a deal it was for customers. And if you think about it, it's like, it's a great deal for customers, which means it's not a good deal for developers. 
And I didn't see how it was sustainable, really, in the long run, unless you just, you know, constant price hikes and constant price hikes. But I mean, I guess this is kind of what we're seeing now is they've said, hey, these games have reached their limit on Game Pass because it's not that profitable for an individual developer. Maybe if you say, okay, we're an indie developer, we're probably not going to get out in front of that many people anyway. So if you put it on Game Pass and that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that have access to this game. But I think, yeah, like like we're seeing with a game like Pentiment, like Hi-Fi Rush, at some point you reach the ceiling and it's if it's only limited to people with Game Pass and only limited to people with Xbox, that is a very low ceiling. So now they're, they got to break it. They got to reach out to Nintendo Switch. And even if you think of a game, if you think of those two games, right? Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment. Those are games that could do really well, especially Hi-Fi Rush. I can see that doing really well on Switch, on even a Switch Lite, right? I'm, not, I'm pretty sure it's like an, I'm pretty sure it's an E rating, right? Yeah. Could be, even if it's a teen rating, I could see kids playing that on a Switch Lite. All right, I could see kids playing that on a Switch. So definitely not every game would do well on a Nintendo Switch because it is, yes, more of a family-friendly console. But I'm sure Xbox Game Pass has a ton of games that would do well on a Switch or Switch Lite. And you could, I mean, not instantly, but pretty quickly you could, you know, exponentially grow the amount of people playing your games. So I'm surprised. Yes, but it makes sense. And I only see them releasing more and more games moving forward. But I guess, what are your thoughts as someone who's been an Xbox fanboy, (laughs) who was very close to buying a Nintendo series, a Nintendo, well, (laughs) an Xbox series S, right? Um, what are your thoughts on this move? Do you think it hurts Microsoft? Do you think it hurts Xbox? Or do you think it's a good move? Because in the long run, it means that they're going to stay around for longer. I mean, I think that's the real question, right? I, I'm i definitely mixed on it. And I'm definitely not an Xbox fanboy. Uh, my last console was definitely a PS4. Uh, oh. Haven't owned the Xbox since the 360. But, but I do like the idea of Xbox existing. And... You know, you brought up a lot of really, really good points there about, okay, Sony wouldn't do this, even though, you know, they are in a little bit of a an issue themselves, which I think we'll talk about in, in a minute. But they wouldn't do this because, personally, I feel like they are on the verge of a potential monopoly in the, the actual, like, premium console space or the high-end console space. Whereas if Xbox you know, bows out, which I did say, you know, years ago that I do think in the near future, Xbox will stop making consoles. Uh, If they are the only option, I think they want that, right? And the idea of bringing Spider-Man to an Xbox console would kind of be like throwing them a lifeline, which I don't think Sony wants. But to answer your question, as cool as I think it would be for Xbox, who is now, in my opinion, the biggest, and it might just be fact, the biggest publisher of video games that exists they have bethesda they have zenimax they have uh uh activision they have blizzard and they have xbox game studios like this is gigantic the amount of studios that they own the fact that they could start releasing games on every platform or every other platform pc playstation and nintendo 
I think is a great thing for the games industry. But I think the problem with that is if they are no longer in the console space, there is less competition in the console space. And when that happens, that means, you know, PlayStation can charge whatever they want for a PS5. They could make a PS5 Pro that's $1,000. And that could be potentially your only option um, in the console space if you don't have competition from something like Xbox. Yes, you'll have Nintendo, but you'll know it'll always be a less powerful kind of option and you're not going to get the flagship best-looking games that you can play on your 4K TV. So I think that's a little bit of an issue because if that happens and now PlayStation can charge whatever they want for their console, now companies like NVIDIA and AMD can charge whatever they want for graphics cards because they don't have to worry so much about console competition. I think right now a really interesting conversation is how many people are really buying graphics cards, which is, you know, it's the sale of graphics cards has really gone down because the prices have gone up, and also PlayStation 5 launched. So I can spend $1,000 on a graphics card, or I can spend $500 on a PlayStation 5. You know, it's definitely a much better value proposition, and that causes competition. That causes companies like NVIDIA and AMD to make, you know, more affordable options. But if that doesn't exist, and PlayStation can charge whatever they want because there's no Xbox to give them competition, then NVIDIA and AMD can charge whatever they want on the PC space. Games and the whole concept of gaming just gets more and more expensive, which to me is my big concern with this whole thing. Because, yeah, I do believe that this is just a tip of the iceberg, and it is leading to a future where Microsoft isn't making consoles anymore, and they try to get their games, and especially Game Pass, on as many consoles and platforms and TVs and web browsers as they can, um, which is a cool idea. But yeah, it, it's definitely not the best. In terms of what you mentioned about these games on Nintendo consoles, that's one thing where I 100% agree with you. These four games, Peniment, Hi-Fi, Rush, Grounded, and Sea of Thieves, would be fantastic on, on Nintendo hardware. Unfortunately, Sea of Thieves and Hi-Fi Rush won't be on the Switch. It's probably just not powerful enough. But I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I if these... Rush was no. The... Oh. Fortunately, it's only grounded and pentiment. But I do think that these could be potential launch games for the Switch too. And you know, if you're buying a brand new console, and there's this really high end, or I shouldn't say high end, really cool game like Hi-Fi Rush that's available in the console at launch, and this is the first place you're going to be able to play it portable. There's a Steam Deck, obviously, but. I think that's going to be a really cool idea. But yeah, I don't know. This is this is interesting. My, I guess, question to you before we briefly just touch on the on the Sony stuff. Do you think this is leading to, as I do, you know, there being no more physical Xboxes? Um, and maybe they lean more into the PC space. I don't know. But do you think that this is potentially them, you know, quietly saying, because they're they're loudly saying to everyone, no, we're going to continue making consoles. In fact, our next, we're going to have new hardware at the end of this year, which is going to be the Xbox Series X refresh. And then they're also saying that their next gen console is going to be the most powerful console they've ever made, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, do you think that this is a sustainable path for Xbox moving forward? We've seen the whole idea around Microsoft is that hardware, they don't care about it anymore. They got rid of pretty much their entire HoloLens team. Most of their Surface team is gone, including the guy who led it. He now works for Amazon and with Panos. It, clearly, the, the whole Microsoft edict is hardware isn't as important. We care about software. Do you think this trickles down to Xbox in maybe the next 10 years? In 
10 years, yes. I do believe them that they will come out with a next gen console. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most powerful ever. Yeah, I hope you're not taking steps backwards. I hope you don't <laughs> release something as powerful as the original Xbox as your next console. Um, but I definitely see them doing a refresh of the Series X, coming out with another next gen console. But yeah, I see them moving more towards the side of software is their focus and not hardware. Mm -hmm. There's a rumor floating around that there might be a handheld that they're working on. I think Phil Spencer said, you know, we're trying different form factors and there's definitely interesting stuff in the handheld space. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased. I have a Switch. I have a Steam Deck. I I like handheld consoles. Mm -hmm. So... I think it would be very interesting if they released some sort of handheld device. Not at the end of this year. They're doing the Series X refresh. But maybe along with their next-gen console, if instead of having, you know, right now they have the Series X and the Series S as like their lower-tier console, maybe for their next-gen they have their whatever, their high-powered device. But as their low-powered device, it's a handheld console that you could also dock. That's something I see being very interesting because a lot of the handhelds, right, they run on Microsoft. They run on Windows. The Steam Deck is running on SteamOS, but all the other ones like the Neos, like the Legion, like the ROG Ally, like they're running on Microsoft on Windows. Mm -hmm. So I know in the background, Windows and Microsoft are working on making it, making their operating system work better with handheld gaming devices, handheld gaming PCs, whatever you want to call it. So I could see them coming out with an Xbox handheld, which, you know, in the past we've talked about, it'd be cool if Steam released Steam OS so that other people could put it on their devices. I could see Microsoft coming out with Xbox OS where it's, okay, the next ROG Ally 2 is running Xbox OS instead of Microsoft. Yeah. Right? The next Lenovo Legion Go is running on Xbox OS instead of Microsoft. So it's it's optimized for handheld gaming PCs and the handheld gaming experience. I could see that happening. And so if their lower tiered version of their console, whatever, of their next gen console, is a handheld device that's running Xbox OS or whatever they want to call it, I could see that being pretty successful for them. I mean, especially we've seen how successful Steam OS or not Steam OS, how successful the Steam Deck is, right? Yeah. Is that me being biased? Is that wishful thinking? Maybe, but I think it would be successful and I don't see them I think that helps them lean into the 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 software side more. Next gen, okay, yeah. You've already probably started planning out. You probably already have you know, hardware dedicated to that. But after that, if this is how they're operating for the Series X and the Series S, when they're at, you know, they're at a deficit to PlayStation already, when the next one comes out, I only see that deficit getting bigger, mm-hmm. right? I, To be honest, I don't really see them catching up. If they're already starting to offer games to Nintendo and offer games to PlayStation, and as we said, if it goes well, they're going to offer more, which they're probably going to do. So, yeah, I see them eventually getting out of the hardware space. I could see them making a lower 
powered hardware device, like a handheld, that'd be great, you know, instead of a Series S. But I do see them leaning more into software, and I, I think it would be pretty cool if they come out with an Xbox OS, because we've mentioned even before, right? They make Windows operating system. We could see a future where they come out with, you know, a laptop where it's, this is an Xbox laptop. Yeah. Where it's like it's branded as this this is a gaming laptop meant to play, you know, PC games, but also meant to play Xbox games. And it has an Xbox stamp of approval that, yeah, this PC, this laptop was designed with playing Xbox games in mind. And I think if there was something like Xbox OS, I think that would go a long way to making that a more sustainable future. Right? Because especially when you look at the Steam Deck, like you log into the Steam Deck. And here is all this, the entire Steam, your entire Steam library, but also all these games that you can buy from the Steam store. If you log into an Xbox, you know, OS device, an Xbox OS device, it's like, here are all your Xbox games. And these are all the Xbox Game Pass games that you could buy for, that you could buy and play on this device right now. Yeah. Would you be interested in an Xbox handheld? Hmm. You know, I've heard those those rumors a lot, and personally, I don't know. It's kind of hard because one thing you did mention there, and I think is is really the key, is that Xbox, Microsoft wants to focus on software. If they make the Xbox software and then have other companies make the hardware um, and just mm-hmm. use it the way that they use Windows now, I think that could be interesting. I've always wanted an Xbox that was just a PC, um, just because PC gaming and specifically building PCs has become so expensive. I would love for them to be able to just make an all-in kind of thing that's more affordable. Um, So that is something I'd be more interested in than a handheld. But I think overall, the most exciting thing would be exactly what you said, them making the Xbox, the Windows, the Xbox version of Windows that can run on gaming-focused hardware. Um, Yeah, that's something that Steam has yet to do. They've talked about SteamOS being available for things other than the Steam Deck. Uh, they haven't done it yet. I think if Microsoft came in and kind of scooped that that ecosystem, I think that would be great. Um, but there is something else I want to bring up here very quickly and just to get your opinion on. So we've talked about Xbox and, you know, the kind of, it, it's not doom and gloom. Obviously, Xbox is still making money, but it still seems like they're on a downturn. But it doesn't seem, even though PlayStation is doing so much better, it doesn't seem like they're uh, immune from this downturn as well. They talked about in their latest earnings earnings meeting that the PlayStation 5 sales are actually coming below expectations. They actually cut their units sold by 4 million from 25 to 21 for this fiscal year. And they talked about, you know, the PlayStation 5 being towards the end of its life cycle. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. seeing demand. They they feel like demand has peaked for the console and it's going to start decreasing year over year. And they also feel like they're not taking advantage of ways for them to make money. For example, bringing, you know, uh, Hiroi Totoki, their new interim CEO, talked about potentially bringing PS5 exclusives to PC sooner than they have in the past to make more money off of them. They've also just recently talked about how they're working on making the PlayStation VR 2 compatible with PCs, which I think is really interesting and something I never thought would have happened probably too late considering the fact that the MetaQuest 3 now exists and prior to the MetaQuest 3 I think the PlayStation VR 2 would have been the best headset but I feel like the MetaQuest 3 
beats it for the money now. But it's it's interesting, despite the fact that Sony can sell tens of millions of copies of Spider-Man and Last of Us and all of these big games and these big exclusives that they make, you know, Horizon, and it's still not enough for them. They still feel like they're, you know, not making enough money. I'm curious, do you think this is potentially with the Xbox news um, signs that maybe the gaming industry is probably losing health overall, especially after the astronomical highs of the pandemic? Um, do you think this is just companies being a little bit greedy, maybe focusing on growth as opposed to building a sustainable business? Or do you think that this is just, you know, business as usual, you know, PlayStation 5, four years in, going to start, you know, being less interesting. And then in a couple of years, we're going to get the PlayStation 6 that's going to skyrocket interest once again. Yeah, I think it's just, as you put it, companies being greedy. Mm. It's just capitalism. Yeah. Right? Like, you, you could outsell your competitors. You could, let's say... Let's say they have 100% market saturation. All that matters is, okay, how do we get 110%? Yeah. How do we get... We've gotten every single gamer out there. How do we get people who aren't gamers? Right? Because all that matters is, are they selling more units than they did last quarter? Are they selling more units than they did last year? And at the end of the day, it's like you're going to run into a ceiling. (laughs) Like there's only so many, there's only so many people in the world that want to play video games, right? And so now they're running into the thing of okay, we've reached all of the console gamers, and as you said, they're looking to branch into PC sooner because it's like we've reached all the console gamers. Now how do we get PC gamers, right? How do we get PC VR gamers? And it's it's just something that is going to happen eventually. Like even as successful as the switch has been, it's like, okay, the switch is now starting to see a decline too. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah. You've reached every, you've reached every single Person. family. Yeah. <laughs> then you've released a console for the kids. So now the parents have a console and the kids have a console. Okay. Now we're going to update the original switch. So now the parents can have two consoles for themselves and the kids can each have their console. How do we get more people? Yeah. Like, this is only so much you can there's only only so many people you can sell to right so yeah it's like it's it's the end of a cycle the only way i see playstation like really making an astronomical leap leap like you said playstation 6 needs to come out mm-hmm. but even then you need to have games where it's like oh you need a playstation 6 to come up you need a playstation playstation 6 to play this game to sell this game yeah like, let's say Spider-Man 3 comes out, right? If it's cross-platform, which it's probably going to be, if you can play it on, or sorry, cross-generation, not cross-platform. If you could play it on the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 6, what reason do people who have a PlayStation 5, what reason do they have to buy a PlayStation 6 if they can still play their games anyways? You need something like GTA 6, which when it does come out, yeah, you'll probably get a bump, a bit of a bump in PlayStation 5 sales. But if it's, you know, GTA 6 is a PlayStation 6 exclusive, that's when you see astronomical sales. And I, I'm not saying this is not going to come to Xbox. I mean, like, in terms of PlayStation generations, you can't play it on a PlayStation 5. You can't play it on a PlayStation 4. Then it gives re- people a reason to buy it. Yeah. But it's like 
Sony saying the PlayStation 5 is in the end of its life cycle, that just means that they're having trouble selling more units. They're not even having trouble. They're not selling as many units as they did before, which, as I said, once you get to a certain level of saturation, it can't be any, you can't sell any more units. There's no one left to sell units to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I feel like this is a, kind of a, a thing that we can levy on both PlayStation, Sony, and Microsoft Xbox. And it's like these, both of these companies are actually successful doing quite well, yeah. <laughs> but it's still not good enough. Um, I think there was a, a number of like millions of Game Pass subscribers. Uh, along with an additional, you know, 30 million or so consoles sold. And that's not good enough. Um, not only is that not good enough, because, yeah, you could always do better, but it's so bad to the point where you kind of have to rethink the whole business, which I think is maybe a little bit um, rash. And then also, mm. the Xbox Series, no, the Xbox One console generation sold in, I believe, the 30 million of consoles. And PlayStation is revising this fiscal year, one year, from 25 to 21 million. And that is somehow this astronomical failure. Yeah, I think this is just definitely... <laughs> I think these companies made so much money during the pandemic yeah, that they're just like, oh, we need that for forever. Which, with every company, this isn't just in the gaming industry. With every single company, they're all saying the same thing. And it's just interesting that all these companies believe that that was going to continue rolling to steal a, a, a quote from one of the Ford brothers, uh, the, the politicians in Toronto and, and Ontario, uh, the great, I believe it was Rob Ford, our, our, uh, the crackhead mayor of Toronto, um, <laughs> said that he was going to stop the gravy train. And uh, I think to steal one of his quotes, I think PlayStation and Xbox uh, thought the gravy chain was going to keep on rolling for the next uh, few decades, which was probably very unresponsible or irresponsible. Yeah, definitely irresponsible. I mean, like in all tech companies, right? Yeah. And a lot of the layoffs, not as many now, but a lot of the layoffs that were happening over the past couple of years, it's like during the pandemic, you saw astronomical numbers in terms of users and sales. And it's like, we have to expand our, our workforce to keep up with all of this. And then obviously once the pandemic ended and people spent less time at home and less time online and less time using their services, your usage shrunk. And it's like, well, now we have to lay off people. But it's like, if you compare what their numbers were before the pandemic to what they were after the pandemic, a lot of people's workforces are still higher than that. They've still grown from that. Their users and everything, it's still grown yeah. from before the pandemic. But it's like, yeah, obviously when everyone is, you know, like stuck inside at home and can't leave, everything digital, everything on the internet, your usage is going to grow. Yeah. And when people aren't stuck inside at home anymore, your usage is going to shrink. But yeah, they thought the gravy train was going to keep on rolling and, you know, surprise, it hasn't. On to topic number three, iPad Pro leaks and iPad Air leaks. So for quite some time, we've kind of been stuck with the same design of iPads, right? You look at the iPad Pro and the iPad Air, they haven't really been redesigned since 2018. And the iPad Pro hasn't been upgraded since 2022, where all they did was just put the M2 chip in it. 
Now, there's a lot of rumors floating around that this March, so I mean, like pretty much in a couple of weeks, there's going to be an announcement from Apple for new iPads. Now, I think the last time the iPads got upgraded, it was uh, it was really just a YouTube video that came out, right? Mm-hmm. And a press release. There wasn't an actual event or there wasn't any buildup to it. It was just, here's a YouTube video. Here's our new iPad Pro. Here's our new, I think they did the 10th gen iPad at the same time too. And that was it. There's rumors that there will be a bigger change this time. So it's not just going to be a new chip. There's actually going to be some sort of hardware redesign. There's going to be, as always, a new chip. But especially when you look at the iPad Pro, there's a lot of rumors and a lot of people talking about them moving from a mini LED display to an OLED display. Mm. So OLED display would mean, you know, uh, deeper blacks, faster refresh rates, brighter colors, improved contrast, and a little bit of power efficiency when you compare a mini LED to an OLED display. So that's the rumor for iPad Pros. They're saying that the sizes are going to change slightly. They're going to go from 11 inches to 11.1 inches and from 12.9 inches to 13.1 inches. So the iPads, the screens are supposed to get slightly bigger, possibly because OLEDs take up a little bit less space. But the form factor in terms of like the size is going to stay pretty much the same. They're supposed to be thinner, supposed to get better batteries. And for the iPad Pros, there's rumors of them getting an M3 chip, which only makes sense right like they have the m2 chips right now they're not going to do all this redesign and it's the same processor inside so they're supposed to be getting the m3 chip as always there's rumors that oh they're finally going to bring mac os to ipads you're finally going to be able to use all your mac apps on ipads i don't it's never going to happen i don't think it's ever going to happen to be honest especially with like how well the macbooks have been selling right when you look at the macbook airs when you look at the MacBook Pros, how well those have been selling, I don't see them putting macOS on an iPad Pro because then it would slash the sales of their MacBooks, right? Um, and every time they release a MacBook Air, it's, oh, the MacBook Air is the best-selling laptop in the world. Why would you want to, why would you want to, you know, affect that as Apple? Why would you want to affect your bottom line when you don't have to, right? People are still going to buy the iPads either way, whether it has macOS or not. So I don't see them ever doing that. There's uh, talks of a new landscape camera placement for their 10th gen iPad that they redesigned recently. They moved it from a portrait camera to a landscape camera because that's everyone used their tablets essentially in landscape mode. Only makes sense. Uh, there's supposed to be a refreshed magic keyboard with a bigger trackpad, which is supposed to make this seem more like a mac i think that's part of why people are saying oh yeah it's going to be a mac it's going to be like a macbook mac os coming to ipad a new magic keyboard yeah that's cool that makes sense but once again i don't see them putting mac os on this thing rumors that there's going to be a new apple pencil a third generation apple pencil prices are probably going to go up right if we're talking about new oled technology we're talking about a new processor. We're talking about a redesign. Some people are saying that the entry-level one is going to get a bump up. Right now, it's $800, I believe, for $799, just under $800. Uh, 
some people are saying it's going to be like a $100, $200 price increase. Wow. I'm seeing some say as high as going from 800 to 1500. I do not I don't see that happening. That's impossible. I see it I mean, it's Apple, anything's possible. I see them going to $1000 for the entry level iPad Pro, but that being said, currently the entry level iPad Pro, the 11-inch version, it doesn't have a mini LED screen. It just has a regular LCD screen, but I think it's still ProMotion. So if you think of, okay, they're going to bump it up from an LCD screen to an OLED screen and a better processor, I see like 100 to $150 makes sense to me. But if it's more than $1,000, that's kind of outlandish of an increase. For the 13.1-inch for the version, some people are saying it could go as high as $1,800, which really doesn't make any sense to me because like there's no way that an ipad pro or not pro an ipad a tablet we're talking about here there's no way that can cost more or should cost more than a you know than a macbook pro so we'll see it's the prices are going to go up the most shocking thing would be if the prices stayed the same i I mean the most shocking thing would be if the prices went down Mm -hmm. I would be shocked if the prices stayed the same, but I would be like, I would be floored if the prices went down, which would never happen. But yeah, if the prices stay the same, I would be shocked. Um, that's for the iPad Pros. And the iPad Airs are supposed to be getting an, an update also. Now, they're, they're not supposed to be getting a redesign like the iPad Pros are. It's supposed to be the same general design, but there will be a slight change in terms of Right now, it's just a 10.9-inch version. That's going to stay the same. Um, But they're going to introduce a larger size. So if this happens, it would be the first time the iPad Airs will come in two sizes. So a 10.9 version and a 12.9 version. So just like the iPad Pros have two sizes, just like the iPhones have two sizes, right? They introduce the, you know, the, what is it, 13, 14, 15 plus, and those have been selling really well. Just like the Mac book airs right they had the base macbook air but now they have the 15 inch macbook air which has been selling really well and i think what they're finding is that people say they like small phones you know not going to name any names here people say they like small phones (laughs) but they don't sell as well as just the bigger the slightly bigger phones and people want bigger screens they want bigger devices but they don't want to have to pay a premium for it like you want the size of an iphone pro max but you don't necessarily want to spend twice as much because you don't need the extra camera you don't need the extra you know the extra screen power you don't need all that extra stuff you just want a bigger screen so i see them seeing uh, apple is seeing the success of the plus size phones of the 15 inch macbook air and they're probably saying hey if we had a 13-inch MacBook Air, that would probably do well because people want the bigger screen. They don't want to have to pay the extra money for it for the extra screen refresh rate, for the extra LiDAR scanner, all that extra stuff that people aren't going to use. Um, so iPad Air is supposed to be coming in two sizes. iPad Pro is supposed to be getting a slight bump in terms of sizes. But more importantly, the OLED screens, the M3 chip, iPad Air is probably going to get bumped up from M1 to M2. I don't see them bumping it up to M3. 
just to have that bit of a separation between the Air device and the Pro device. But um, I guess, have you seen, heard any of these rumors? What are your thoughts on, you know, these OLED screens coming to the iPad Pros? And what are your thoughts on also them bumping up in screen size of the iPad Airs, introducing that, let's say, iPad Air Plus size? So yeah, this is actually like my first introduction to these rumors um, of what the potential these new iPads going to be. When you mentioned the the uh, Pro line, potentially getting a price bump because of the OLED screen, originally my thought was that doesn't make any sense. I believe that the 12.9 inch Pro already did get a price bump because I think the original one that they brought out was 999. Um, I might be wrong about that, but now it is 1099 for that. Um, and that getting a price bump on the base level seems a little hasty, especially if you're just getting an OLED screen. screen OLED screens are not astronomically expensive like they used to be. Um, mm-hmm. And there are rumors that they're going to separate their allocation between Samsung and LG. So they're going to get some Samsung OLEDs and some LG OLEDs. Um, but with the amount of units that, uh, you know, Apple sells, I imagine they're getting some pretty good prices on these screens. So originally my thought is I wouldn't expect a price bump. But then when you talk about the iPad Air getting a potentially larger version, then yeah, I think the price bump makes sense because if you then say, okay, well, if you wanted the larger iPad, you don't have to worry about, let's say the new iPad Pro uh, 13-inch version is twelve ninety nine. Well, if you wanted a, a bigger version of an iPad anyways, you could have just got the iPad Air, which is maybe, I don't know, seven ninety nine. Um, so that kind of makes that price bump a little less dramatic. That being said, I don't think an M3 processor and an OLED screen is enough of a reason to raise that price. Um, so yeah, I think you would definitely need something like a more interesting iPad Air to kind of make that less of a less of an issue, especially because like you mentioned, these are not going to get Mac OS. And at the end of the day, what you're going to be able to do on an iPad Air 6 generation is the exact same thing as you're going to be able to do on an iPad Pro 7th generation. So um, yeah, I think that price bump just for an OLED, it's going to take a lot of really good Apple marketing um, to convince people that it's worth that price, <laughs> which they're up to. I, I don't think that, that that's something that they're... <clears throat> I think that's something they're going to be pretty successful at finding a way to convince people that they should get those machines. But yeah, yeah, I definitely hope that there's no price bump across the board. And I do like the idea of a bigger iPad air in terms of the 10th generation iPad. I would love to see, um, you know, a bigger update to that, maybe get the a 15 chip um, put into that. Uh, Also, I think a price drop on that machine, I think is necessary. And if not, Let's say they don't price drop that. My dream scenario would be, okay, you take the iPad 10th generation, you get rid of the 9th generation, throw that out. doesn't need to exist anymore. And at that price point, you take the iPad mini as a smaller version of the iPad 10th generation. Um, Because the iPad mini has been neglected for so long. Um, Yes, there's been some small updates here and there. But it's definitely not worth the price. And going back to your original comments about, you know, people say they want smaller devices, but they don't really buy them. Well, I I think the reason why they don't buy them is people don't want to pay more for smaller devices. If you're going to get a smaller device, it should be at a a decent deal because that only makes sense. Like, it doesn't make sense that a 13-inch iPad Pro would be 
$300 to $400 more than a 10.9 inch, but a iPad mini would be one to $200 more than an, than a regular sized iPad. Like, that just doesn't yeah. make any sense. So yeah. I would love for them to bring the iPad mini into that, you know, under $400 price point uh, as a, you know, part of that smaller, bigger version of the regular iPads. You have the iPad mini as the base level iPad 10th generation or 11th generation, I guess with a a 15 chip as the slightly more expensive, but still entry level. You have the iPad Air 6th Generation, uh, what is it, 10.9-inch version with the M2 chip, a little bit of an update, great. And then you bring in a 12.9-inch version as a new kind of bigger iPad, but for the masses, um, so that it's less expensive than what an iPad Pro would cost. And then, yeah, I think you can raise the price of the iPad Pro a little bit, although I would rather them not. I think that's absolutely um, something that they could do. So yeah, I, mm. I think this could be a cool idea. Um, the idea of the bezels getting smaller on the iPad Pros is an interesting one because to me that indicates them being more of a mouse and keyboard or a trackpad and keyboard type machine um, mm. than a touch machine because yes, iPad's uh, palm rejection is really good, but it's still always better to have a bezel to hold on to than the actual screen. And there's already such a small bezel on those machines. The bezel getting smaller, I think, could be a little bit of annoying. Uh, the idea of a new generation Apple Pencil, I think, could be great. But in order for that to be great, you have to make sure that the the base level iPad support the Gen 2 and not the Gen 1. Much like you're getting rid of that 329 9th Gen iPad, you have to get rid of the iPad Pencil Gen 1. It's just not up to the level of what a pencil should be. Um, but yeah, I, I think these are interesting rumors and I, I think they're probably going to turn out to be legit. And mm. I hope it's, it, it is actually an event because if you are doing something as interesting as OLED, but also raising the price, I think you do need to foot, put Apple's full marketing behind it to convince people that it's worth spending more money on an OLED screen. Um, and the redesign. And the right? redesign, yeah. Than just doing a YouTube video like they've done in the last generation. But I don't know. Do you think yeah. they're going to do a full-on um, keynote or or full-on event? And if they do, do you think it's just iPads, or do you think there's maybe something else that sneaks in there, like maybe an updated iPad, uh, Mac Mini, or something like that? No, I I see them doing an event mm -hmm. just for the same reasons you mentioned, right? If we're talking OLED screen, new chip, and redesign for the Pros, and a new, pretty much a new item in the the 13 inch ipad air yeah this warrants a full-on event to me um i could see them doing another i could see them doing other stuff too especially if we're talking about okay the m3 is coming to the ipad pro we still don't have a mac mini with m3 we still don't have a macbook air with m3 mm -hmm. so i could see them starting off i could see them making it an m3 event it's like we're bringing the Mac, the M3 to the Mac Mini and iPad Air like you guys have been waiting for. And guess what else? It's also coming to the iPad Pro. I could see them doing that. Yeah. But definitely the focus, I think, will be iPads. A quick question on design. With the iPad Pro getting this update, this redesign, do you think they bring the notch to the iPad Pro? They're shrinking bezels. You know, they're running out of space. Nobody can fit <laughs> Apple ID or 
you know, face ID oh, and a bezel. Man. So do you think the notch comes to the iPad Pro? I didn't even think of that. <laughs> and that is, wow. <laughs> I mean, I've seen renders with notch. I just completely forgot to bring it up in my little rant before. But do you think we get the notch on the iPad Pro? I hope not. I certainly hope not. It's not what you hope. And it's not what makes sense. Um, it's what do you think Apple will do? I'm I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and say uh, no. Uh, you're wrong. But if they Never do, give oh Apple my the goodness! Benefit of the doubt. I, honestly, that didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of even bringing that up is is quite hilarious, considering yeah. there's well, you know what, Samsung does it, so why not? Yeah, why not? Okay, and to touch back on something you did before, you talked about before, in terms of pretty much reorganizing the the structure of of their iPads and everything. So if I was running Apple, I would agree with you. I'd get rid of the 10th gen iPad. the Or whatever, the 9th gen iPad? 9th gen, yeah. Right, where it's like the old school with the forehead, with the chin and the touch ID on the, the home button. Get rid of that, right? You've... You've completely redesigned everything. We don't need to hold on to that anymore. And yeah, I would say the iPad mini is an entry-level iPad. I used to have an iPad mini. I really enjoyed the form factor. But when it was time for me to upgrade, I went with the iPad Air. Yeah, And it's a great device, the iPad Air with M1. And there's so much that I can do on it that I definitely am not going to upgrade. I don't need to upgrade. Mm -hmm. The M1 chip is, once again overpowered for iPads. If anything, it's held back by iPad OS, especially if we see that it like on a Mac mini, on a MacBook Air, on a MacBook Pro, it could do so much. So it's clearly being held back by Mac by iPad OS. But I would say you make the iPad mini the entry level, you give that M1. Doesn't need M1, you give it M1. Then you could even do stuff like stage manager if you wanted to. They're probably not mm -hmm. going to. You upgrade the 10th gen iPad, which got the redesign, to an 11th gen. You give that M1 also. Wow. Right? Which it essentially is the iPad Air that I have now. I mean, it basically is now. It just has a different chip. Yeah. But 11th gen iPad, give it M1. iPad Air, you know, the 11-inch and the 13-inch version... You give it M2, and then the iPad Pro 11 and 13-inch versions, you give it M3. And then that would be the lineup. The iPad mini, yeah, it should cost less, right? It shouldn't cost equal to an 11th gen iPad. But if, you, if you're worried about having an entry-level iPad for education, for schools to buy, make it the iPad mini. It works with the Apple Pencil Gen 2. It's a great device. iPad mini entry-level. M1, iPad 11th Gen with M1, another great device. iPad Air, give it a bit of a bump up, right? 11 and 13-inch version. And if anything, the 13-inch should cost about the same as a Pro, as an iPad Pro 11-inch. Mm -hmm. It should probably be like around $100 difference because Apple loves to have their whole pricing ladders, right? Where it's like, okay, if you spend a little bit more if you don't want an 11-inch iPad Air and you want a 13-inch iPad Air, it's going to cost you $200 more, but that's only $100 under the iPad Pro. So it's like, you might as well get the 11-inch iPad Pro. So I see them structuring it that way. 
And that would make sense to me. And even if, if for whatever reason, Apple wanted to put macOS on an iPad, only obviously the iPad Pro 11 and 13 inch, but you need the magic keyboard enabled to run it. Yeah. You need to get the Apple magic keyboard. You can't get a third party, you know, a Logitech keyboard case or anchor keyboard case. It has to be this new generation magic keyboard from Apple. And if you really want to be Apple about it, only the 13 inch version can run Mac OS. Mm. So only the 13 inch with the new generation magic keyboard can run Mac OS. Anything else can't any other keyboard case can't you have to get 13 inch iPad pro with the M3 chip and the magic keyboard gen two, but that's not going to happen. No, but yeah, if I, if I was running, if I was running the iPad division, if I was running Apple, that's how I would structure it. And that would make a lot of sense to me. And it would give a lot of options for people to get into an iPad, to get into the Mac OS ecosystem. And then also, you know, there's, there's rumors they're going to redesign iPad OS to make it a little bit more like vision OS. Like it's, Oh, okay. not going to be huge redesigns, but I guess a same sort of design language, I guess, with like how their windows are designed and maybe like some sort of transparency in their windows. There's rumors that they might redesign uh, iOS also like their that runs on their iPhones. But we'll we'll see when that happens. I could see them redesigning iPad OS a little bit, especially since pretty much all iPad OS apps run natively on the vision OS. So I could see them doing that to make it easier for people to, you know, transition from an iPad to Vision or from Vision Pro to an iPad. I could see them doing that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I completely agree with that that lineup as well. It's it's one of those weird things where right now, and I don't know if this is a mistake, but the iPad Air costs six hundred dollars for a sixty-four gigabyte version. The iPad Mini, you know, there's it's supposed to start at $500. So even if it is a hundred dollars cheaper, that still doesn't make any sense. That machine. I remember when you had it, I always found it very cool. Um, it, it, it needs, it needs a better price. It, $500 is, is way too much for, for what that machine is. And that's probably why no one buys it. Uh, I guess any closing statements for today? Um, the only closing statement I have is a quick question for you. Uh, just preliminary maybe we'll talk about this on on a future podcast but there was some ai video released from OpenAI and stuff like that and a whole bunch of people have been talking about it my only question to you is have how have you seen it and what was your impressions of it i haven't seen the full thing i've seen uh clips clips of it yeah let me pull it up right now because i don't think it's very long no no, it's maybe like there's a bunch of little clips out there for like different things that they've They've rendered from the prompt. Like, it's interesting to me. And I, yeah. It's cool that it's able to do this. And I could see how it's, uh, how it could be useful in terms of like brainstorming things Mm -hmm. and coming up with ideas. And like, you have an idea in your head and you really want to get it out quickly. And this is how you get it out quickly and you show it to someone without obviously going out and filming something or going out and animating something. But a lot of the, a lot of what I've been hearing around is like, this is going to 
change filmmaking or this is going to replace filmmaking. This is going to pretty much change the industry of entertainment. And I, I don't see it. Mm. Like it's, it's very remarkable what it's able to accomplish and what it's able to do. But it's still like, it's still very small videos that it's able to produce. Right. And it's still like for a five second video, it takes like an hour for it to produce. If that, my numbers might be a little bit off. I think it might even take a little bit longer. Um, but even when you're watching these videos, it's like there's people's are people's hands are moving in unnatural ways and they're like morphing as they do things. And it's like, it's, it makes sense to me if, like I said, if you have an idea in your head and you're trying to get that out to someone quickly in order to like, okay, I want the shot to look like this, go and shoot this, then yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I don't see them, I don't see entire films, entire TV shows, entire series being generated through AI video. Obviously at some point it's gonna get better and you're gonna have less, less things, like less abnormalities in the videos. But it's cool that you could do, and it's interesting to see, but I definitely don't see it getting to the point where it's like, we're going to, okay, Christopher Nolan's not going to need to make films anymore because AI can generate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on it? Well, first, I think we got to put a pin in one of these days on the podcast making, even if it's a bonus episode or something, sometime in the future, about our our thoughts on the quote-unquote AI and what that could potentially mean in the future and all the doom and gloom that a lot of people talk about. Um, I think that would be an interesting conversation sometime in the future. My impressions of these videos from what I've seen is they are very creepy, but not in the way that I think most people would expect. Like, I don't think the fact that they exist is what creeps me out. It's just when I'm watching them, it just seems wrong and I don't know why. It's kind of like when you're in the dark and you see something moving in the dark and you're like, did I imagine that or was it actually there? That's how I feel when I'm watching these videos. I'm like, am I imagining that this is wrong or is there something really wrong with this video? And yeah, I hate watching them. (laughs) Every time I see them, I'm like, this just looks so wrong and I don't know why. And my brain just wants me to stop watching them. Um, So that's what I do. Uh, But yeah, I, I definitely understand why people are excited about this in terms of it being such a huge change from what they used to be like. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like watching them at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can definitely uh, dedicate an episode or a bonus episode to that. Like I see the appeal in it and I see people look into the future and be like, oh yeah, one day this, that. But it's like, I don't know, we're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, I, I appreciate... I appreciate human generated art or entertainment. Same, yeah. And and I think especially being someone who's grown up playing video games, I can spot the differences. And I think that's what you're talking about. Like you can look at something computer generated and because you have so much experience with computer generated graphics, you can tell that it's it's fake. And it looks very real, but you can just tell that it's fake. Yeah. And it brings me back to like, you know, playing nba 2k at home and like my parents walking past like oh is that a game on right now it's like no obviously this is a video game like can't you tell but like to someone who isn't experienced with computer generated graphics it's like oh this looks like real life yeah and so i think that's part of 
what is getting what's tripping you out there and so i think being people and if you think of our generation right our entire generation is brought up on computer generated graphics we can tell when something doesn't look real or the majority of us can and maybe older generations can't but younger generations can definitely tell too so it's like we're always going to be looking at these ai generated things and it's always going to be like that's cool but it's not real yeah and then we'll watch something real and it's like okay yeah that's like this is something that's real but yeah the the added side to that though is if you grow up with a lot of ai generated stuff do you just become blind isn't the right word but just like to the point where you don't care like it just everything is that to you so it's like you don't even I mean, notice the problems anymore maybe you don't care but you definitely notice it. aren't blind if anything yeah. you're the opposite yeah right i'm sure us growing up in our generation ai will get to a point where we can't tell yeah but younger generations are like you, you can't tell that was ai generated it was like obviously just looking at it they can tell yeah but we won't be able to tell but younger generations will be able to tell the difference because you know they'll see real life yeah and then they'll see something on the screen it's like that's clearly not real but to us it will be indistinguishable yeah well i think this is an awesome return to the podcast and uh i look forward to the the one where we talk more about ai in, in terms of like yeah. how we feel about it yeah just uh take it easy everyone in podcast land catch you in the next episode